You're listening to R&D and the QC with Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Episode 8, we talk about the Environment and Transportation and Planning Committee meetings. We have special guest Greg Phipps on the program, and we talk about tonight's zoning meeting. Welcome R&D and the QC listeners. We're back. Zoning meeting night, and it's episode 8. we got a special guest later on the program. But first, we're going to dig into some of our committee stuff today. Zoning meeting night, man. I'm going to tell well, you, these not are Not just a wrong. zoning meeting night, though. We, we started here this morning, had multiple committee meetings today, including a zoning briefing in between them. Uh, so it has been a day. It has been a meeting marathon. Look, you don't look. Mission accomplished. You don't have to make this job full time now. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what's well, always been. It just doesn't pay. Um, all right. So the 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 meeting we're going to talk about first was the environment committee meeting. It mm-hmm. was the first environment committee meeting we've had. Uh, we dug into a couple, like eh, mainly two big issues today. The first of which was the clean energy initiative. So. The last council, this had gone through the Environment Committee meeting, they had an aspirational goal to say we want to be a community that, that's 100% clean energy um, in a, by a certain date, I think 2035 or, or 2040 or something. Um, it actually got voted down and sent back to committee at that time because some of the council members, though they are champions of clean energy, said this is a, an aspirational goal, but there's no roadmap. There's no plan for us to get there. And a lot of the energy that we as a city government use and a lot of the energy that, that our citizens and businesses use comes from Duke Energy. We can't mandate the way that Duke Energy creates that power uh, that we utilize from their grid. So, you know, I, I'm kind of of that, that same mindset. I'm glad that it came back to committee. I think our, when we talked about it today, we said we are now going to create a, a goal that's achievable and we're going to have a roadmap of how to get there. But what did you think as we were having that discussion? I, 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 listen, I thought that was great. I, I So having seen kind of this evolve from the beginning, we're finally, we've been around long enough to see some things evolve from the beginning. It was the, the meeting before we got uh, sworn in where essentially um, <clears throat> the mayor before, bless you, Larkin, <laughs> the mayor uh, before, Mayor Roberts, kind of brought up this topic and brought it up in the form of, a proclamation or something. We're going to be 100% renewable or clean energy by 20-whatever. And I the, I had the same critique then that I have now, which is, you know, it's it, anyone can make a proclamation. And, in fact, we learned those other benchmark cities, that's exactly what they did. They made a proclamation without a plan of how they'd get there. But the flip side of the without a plan is without an understanding of feasibility. So, um, so when I look at what we saw today – which was a group of experts that came and, and walked us through, okay, key terms and how we're measuring greenhouse gas emissions, energy scope, geographic scope, low carbon energy, um, and then a list of all the renewable energy systems that exist today and a list of the projects or things that are there and that they will come back to us with this framework with a measurement of by this date, the city, and by this date, the broader city, uh, city not just internal government, external, but yeah, yeah. external as a whole, could be completely renewable or clean energy or whatever the, the topic is. And these are the ramifications. To me, that makes an informed decision. Yeah. And I think that it does have to be focused first internally on what our city government 
uh, and what we're doing in our buildings and with our uh, vehicles and with our employees, I think it's got to be focused there first because that's what we can control. Uh, we can certainly influence what goes on externally, but we can only control what goes on internally right now. And even then, we're still drawing power from Duke Power, so we've got to work with them as a partner, which it sounds like this new version of this plan will incorporate. Um, the Environment Committee Chair, Dimple Ajmera, who we had invited to be on the program tonight, but actually she had to leave right after our zoning meeting. She wants to come on later and kind of talk about this as it comes out of committee as a, a kind of fully fleshed out plan. Uh, so she's going to come on the podcast and talk about that once it's um, kind of packaged and ready for, for showtime. But this was an effort that she had been a big part of along with Mayor Roberts last year. And I think she understood the concerns that some of her council members at the time voiced and has now realized that this is something that I think will, will have a lot bigger impact if we, A, know we can achieve it, and B, have a, a path to getting to that goal. So I was happy with how that conversation went today, um, and I think that we're going to end up somewhere a lot better maybe than if we'd have just set that aspirational goal with no plan. So let's transition to another topic of that committee where I was not as pleased as that one. Perhaps you were, I don't know. Maybe we'll have our first R&D debate. Um, but, when, you know, it's it's... If you're a listener of this program, you know uh, the term stormwater projects. We've literally said it probably almost every other episode. It is a huge deal. There is a huge unfunded backlog of a decade of work of stormwater projects, commitments to city uh, uh, residents that have been made. And as we learned today, there are these things called A, kind of AI, and then B and C rated projects in this backlog. Right now, if you, uh, I think what we learned today is if you do A's and B's that are the unfunded elements right now, it's $416 million necessary to do that. That's a large number. If you add in the C's, that adds it to just over a billion dollars. And even if you fund it at that billion-dollar mark in the current route through these enterprise funds, you're still talking 10 years yeah. before these things get done. And we couldn't – I mean, how, how was there not time to even have some dialogue about that, let alone getting into some of these elements of the policy before the budgetary elements and then and creative budget alignment? I mean, I just – that kind of blew me away, man. Yeah, there's a ton of pieces to this. So first of all – the city, uh, some years ago, stopped adding C-level projects to the list, to the queue um, that's waiting. So that's one thing. We're not taking on any new C projects from here on out. Uh, secondarily, I asked, because I sensed that, that it was none or near none, how many C projects we'd actually um, completed in the last what, and it, the answer years. was a little. Like, was, it, it was, was like no, a dozen. It was none. No, she did, no, no. She, she clarified, clarified in what she was saying that they did some assessment just to kind of look at. I, I got the sense. I think that she it was said they completed zero. a couple to see. Regardless, what with over half a billion it, it dollars in C's, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a relevant number. I, I think she said they did a couple just to kind of. Test and just what so the people are clear, like what what this is. Like here's one C example that I was called up on a couple months ago. There's a Sharon uh, Baptist Church up there in Sharon as you're going towards the Harris Y. There's a huge ditch running through their entire private property, right, that um, was arguably, in their from their perspective, caused by insufficient levels of stormwater piping that had been created out in the right-of-way that then, uh, over time, created this massive ditch. So it's like, I, I think they might even be a level below C. They might not even have made the C cut list, 
but it's arguable that it's there. So, I mean, we're yeah. talking about real problems people are facing. This is fundamentals of government. It is. But the, the thing I, I differentiated with the A and Bs versus Cs today was a C is more of like an erosion issue, um, whereas an A or a B is probably more of an actual infrastructure malfunction or damage, so it's going to be a broken pipe. So obviously the urgency is, is far greater on these A and, C pro- a and B projects, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, it's true. The fact of the matter is it, we will not likely ever get to the C projects. Um, that's the sad reality of it. But we've got to figure out, the other thing that's a problem is we had two years of, of no increases on stormwater one. bills. You said one. Well, they they said they claim two. Okay, but well, remember the background that's important we, we is that one year system. we changed to a four tier. You know what that four tier system did? Increase it made the, district six and seven pay almost fifteen percent rate yeah. rate hike, and claim zero percent across the board. But I mean, with the growth we're experiencing and the the revenue that we're we're bringing in on these. We're just not going to – we're not only not catching up, we're falling further behind. And so the reality is that there's going to probably have to be a rate increase. We'll have to figure out where where the the sweet spot is there to be able to catch up to some of these projects. It's not necessarily going to be anything absurd, just a couple of percent. But one thing that came up tonight that kind of annoyed me was they mentioned that some of these discussions had been had with the previous council – not only, you know, and I made a joke about it being election season and people not being willing to take a hard vote during election season, but it sounds like some of these kind of came up and could have been voted on after the primary was over. So you're looking at a committee who had multiple members that were going to be rolling off of council. If there's ever an easy time to take a difficult vote, it's when you're not coming back to council. The election's over. You've got nothing to lose. So that that kind of bothered me that if, if you're on your way out, I mean... You know, that's we see presidents do it, and we see you know senators who we know are retiring do it. That's when they take those really difficult votes because they got nothing to lose. And yet, you know, the council didn't have the political will to do it, and now we'll have to. It'll be unpopular, but it's it's going to be necessary. And so, so, so real quick, and that's a great point. I totally agree with that. Real quick, so the two things that have to happen here in this order are policy and budget. It has to be a policy discussion first because there's years and years of commitments that have been made to citizens. So let me just ask, not thinking about the budgetary implications and everything like this, where do you, where do you gut fall right now as it relates to, you know, you, you said a second ago, we, we will never get to seize. Well, putting aside dollars and resources and constraints, I think this is the crux of the policy d- decision. Should we get to seize? Well, I think the... Well, should we? Of course. I mean, and again, in theory, we just talked about aspirational goals, but we also talked about the the benefit of having realistic goals. So I think the realistic goal was mentioned today, which is that maybe we acknowledge that we're never going to come in and be able to fix sea level projects, but we find a way for the city to help um, cover some of that cost burden for the the citizen or the business or the whoever that's experiencing this um, erosion or, or whatever kind of a sea level issue they've got, maybe we can help with some funding to help them get that project taken care of or that that issue resolved. So we kind of meet them in the middle because the reality is they can hope we pay all of it and fix it, but they'd be waiting forever. Or we can say, hey, we can help you some and you can actually get it fixed yourself. Um, at the end of the day, that's probably a better option for everybody involved. And we actually start addressing some of these. We're, you know, if, if we're waiting until we're done with the A's and B's to address the C's, We'll never be done with the A's and B's, especially at the rate that we're going. And so 
Um, it's a tough issue. It's one of the, the least exciting things we talk about. And really, the, you know, the media is not covering it. Citizens aren't asking a lot about it unless they have an acute issue or problem. And so because of that, it doesn't get talked about or dealt with very much. But it's, it's going to continue to be an issue. We, we see issues with capacity in, in stormwater and, um, and, and pipes and, and things like that as we look at development options and, and opportunities. So it's, we're, it's something we've got to deal with, and, and it's, it's not been to date. And, and I guess the, my, my last po- point on this one is once we have the policy discussion, I would argue that this is the fundamental uh, uh, you know, element of what, why we're here. And that if, even if we don't do this for people going forward, commitments have been made in the past. But all right, let's say that happens. Let's say the decision's made. There will be a big chunk of unfunded money that has to be figured out. And I'm just trying to, what what, what I'm trying to kind of relay to uh, all, all of our colleagues is there is more than one way to solve this and it doesn't just have to be fee increases for everyone. We have general funds. We have uh, the CIP capital money for the city. It, just because an enterprise fund can't be spent on other things other than that doesn't mean when it's a fundamental part of what government does that we can't spend other funds towards that. And 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 to think of just funding this over a 10-year period with, with fee increases, I think, is a bit, um, you know, short-sighted. Yeah. That, that's my only point. Well, if we, pull, if we pull dollars from other funds, it's like everything else we do, and it... it it is a bit of a zero-sum game, and yeah. it means that we're not going to be able to do something else that's critically important, whether that's sidewalks, whether that's – I mean, it could be anything. Whatever else we want to do will will suffer because of that. So it's a matter of, you know, that's always the question. What, what are we, What's the priority? Is is it more important if we have to – if we've got an extra dollar to spend it on stormwater or spend it on sidewalks or to spend it on whatever it is, you know, economic development. So Stormwater. Well, <laughs> so that's a decision we'll have to make. Good. But, I think we, we, we beat that horse long we enough. We beat it. We beat so, it hard. All right, so we will be right back with a very special friend of the pod. Man, first time. A man we never thought we'd actually get to come on this show. And I, we, we yeah, twisted his arm. He's here. He, he's he's going to come in and have a have a great chat with us. I can't wait. Ladies and gentlemen, after the break, Councilman Greg Phipps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got one of our colleagues with our favorite nickname so far. We've got District 4 Representative Greg Popcorn Fitz. Welcome to the program, Popcorn. Popcorn's a friend of the podcast. We might have to start calling him Pop Podcast Fitz. So he was skeptical about coming on, so we do appreciate you you being willing to come on and try this new brand of media that we are instituting. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Fitz. Why not? I'd be lying if I didn't say I was honored to be here. <laughs> you, you, I think you are lying by saying that you are honored. I, there was I, a double negative. I think you're really ready to go home, and you're very skeptical about being on our show. Can but I just say one thing to start us off? Please. I sit next to, next to this dude on, uh, uh, around the diet. Sneaky funny. Sneaky funny. Nah, Says man. a lot of fun. Like he said, he keeps watching me take the snacks today. He's like, "We're gonna need you to put like a deposit down. You're eating so many snacks." <laughs> Although I will say, as we exited the, uh, the chamber tonight, he was complaining how quickly they removed the snacks yeah. once the meeting's over. So I said, I'm trying to right. get anything I can for District 6. Well, yeah, even if it's gummy bears for you during the meeting. All right, because, so... Yeah. All right, well, so... Well, so, so about to no, come no, in no, I, yeah, your colleague, uh, 
Mr. Kenny Smith, he always used to complain that he wanted us to stop using District 6 as an ATM machine. That's right, man. So you carrying on that position. <laughs> that, that <laughs> I can see. <laughs> All right, so we want to talk a little bit about, we had two of our committees meet today for the first time for each of those yeah, two committees. Right. Uh, Councilmember Phipps is on both of those. Councilmember Phipps, I must note, also is the only person on council, so it shows the respect he's got from the mayor, is the only person on council who chairs two committees. So this is Mr. Committee right here. Must be nice. On, Mr. Committee right here, and he is on... Uh, with so what, me, what were the two today? Transportation a, planning and the environment committee. Tap and right. environment. So we're going to ask him to pick an issue from one of those two meetings. We had some good stuff in both, and let's unpack it with him while he's here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is an honor to be able to serve on two committees, man. But I'll tell you right up front, man, it's it's hard out here for elected official, as you already know right now, right? But uh, I was but it was But it is. But in the uh, transportation and planning committee today, we focused on. Um, the issues of, of, of uh, tiny homes. We have a tiny homes uh, uh, sort of a project going on in the Coolwood neighborhood that uh, has stirred up a considerable amount of, uh, of controversy. And uh, so we, we got 90 days to try to get, to get a handle on this issue before we bring it before the full council to be able to, to give us some direction on which way we want to go. And one of the upshots here is there's no definition for tiny homes as of now. Um, there's no, there's no minimum just size for, for these houses. Just for people who may be tuning in, maybe a, just a, what is a tiny home? Well, we're, so we're defining it, at, well, I guess we're not defining it. It's undefined, but the development that, uh, that Greg just mentioned would be building homes that are about 500 square feet each, obviously right. smaller than, than what we're used to in a single family neighborhood. So one of the solutions that staff, staff presented a couple solutions, several of them, they said, we don't think this is a good idea for, for these reasons. One that they did come up with that they said they felt a little bit more was a little bit more applicable or, or, or useful was these neighborhood and help me neighborhood uh, overlay district yeah oh, but pre- what was it neighborhood character right overlay, overlay district. districts I right, believe yeah, it was yes. something to that effect to, to try to lock in the character of existing character of the neighborhood so what do you think about that Fitz? yeah there was two sides to that what, you well land? I thought it was I thought it was uh, you know when it was first presented I thought about it I mean. What better way, you know, that existing neighbors and, and uh, homeowners could, like, if they come in and say, okay, it's up to us if we want this to move forward, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could just band together and say, hey, we don't want it. So, I, I, don't, I mean, I think several council members expressed concern about that, uh, that overall concept and how it could... Uh, more or less be used to keep uh, certain developments out. Well, and it fe- to me, it felt like they were like, okay, tiny homes. They were yeah. like, okay, we could we could say this about tiny homes. We could do tree save around tiny homes. And then they just pulled out this bazooka that basically like, and this applies to everything. And I thought there was quite a jump from a couple very small topics to basically like the one we recommend is the wholesale change across the entire city of ramifications we don't even know yet. Well, and it seemed yeah. like it was maybe it should t- be two totally different conversations. I mean, yes. maybe the neighborhood character overlays are, are a conversation worth having, but is right. that the is that what we need for a solution to figure out the tiny home issue? Well, you know, I had one uh, prominent planning commission come up to me and say that they were wondering why. Why is this even an issue? It doesn't sound like it is really yeah. an issue as much as, you know. I mean, so it's interesting to see how, how I mean, we got 90 days. We got to go. We, you know, we're going to push forward with it. And I, wanna, I want to actually go down and, and, and um, 
look at a, a tiny home uh, community. I think they got a couple of them in, in Wilmington. Lark and I were talking about maybe yeah. getting splitting the place. You know, I mean, I, getting the spot together. I mean, Tark was talking about that. I wasn't. Yeah. There's a couple of tiny homes in Charlotte, but there's not really like a cluster of them. Right. Yet. Yeah. We need something like a, a like a community yeah. so we can see the end the end uh, result. Well, it seems know? like an innovative approach to a topic we talk about all the time around here: affordable housing. Does it not? Well, yeah. But then you know the caveat that they said that uh, you know tiny homes don't necessarily mean. That it's going to be affordable. You know? I mean, mm, that's know. a good point. Which yeah. also, though, negates one of the arguments people make. A lot of times I hear people talk about tiny homes and they think it'll undermine the value of their home. Right. But then, to, to Greg's point, if these tiny homes are still relatively expensive, the price per square foot is probably even higher maybe than the existing But that's got to, you know, I'd like to see some more data around that because yeah. that's got to be the land. I mean, it, it's not, the, the tiny home itself isn't probably going to add the kind of, you know, price bump that a, a 30,000 square foot home is going to, it's got to be based on the land. That's large. That's you know? a huge <laughs> but, but, but you have to, example. You have to wonder also, do yeah. if, you know, when you talk about your property values, I mean, when appraisals come in, they're going to use comps, right? I mean, mm. they're going to they're gonna use your square footage. They're not going to compare you to a tiny exactly. home, right? Mm, that's a good So, point. I mean, you know, so I think the, the fear thing is something that's, you know, I don't know. That that always gets thrown out there when you talk about alternative housing types. You know how it's going to affect my, you know, property values and such. I mean, it's it's complicated. So, so I guess the the question to wrap up on is: Do you think that obviously we're going to have to figure out something on the tiny homes? This is a a trend, and and not only our community, I think, but it, but nationwide. Is this the right solution for us to start unpacking this idea of neighborhood character preservation overlays? Or do we need to kind of go back to the drawing board and say, let's figure out something that's more specifically tailored to the tiny home question and, and tackle this other thing as a whole different issue? Well, what I found to be interesting was this, this, this tiny home, well, this overlay concept, this, this, this overlay district, character overlay. I mean, it's been in existence for 30 years and we got 16, was it 16 municipalities in North Carolina that has it? I mean, mostly in the Triangle. Raleigh has it, mm -hmm. Durham, Greensboro. You know, so they have it, so they have experience with it. So maybe it's something to be learned from them, uh, you know, in terms of how they've used it. Uh, they said it's only like 19 times out of 30 years that right. they even complied it. So that really we, surprised we got, me. Yeah, we, so we got uh, a basis from which to draw on to see, you know, how it's working. Let, let, let me ask you one final question from a segment we had earlier in a discussion. Okay. And I ask you this because uh, you're, you're, you know, you're the budget chair. Right. You're, I mean, you, you're reading Kaffers. You're out there. You know, you are deep in the budget. Right. I guess right. the question is, um, in, in one of the other discussions we had today about uh, about the the stormwater backlog, right. right? Clearly, you know, there's a policy decision. Do you believe there's a policy decision that, regardless of budget impact, with something so fundamental, has to be figured out first before that comes to budget? Do you, or do you oh, think? Oh yes, that, yes, I mean, definitely. I mean, he, I, I, I got the feeling they were trying to make an end run. I was surprised today yeah. because I was curious as how can we refer something to the environmental committee? They work months on it, getting all kind of recommendations. A recommendation comes before them, and they refuse to take a vote. Mm, and and, yeah. and I asked, okay, why did you know you all not take a vote on the recommendations that y'all been working on for months? You heard my answer, right? Yeah, because it was an election year. Yeah, and, and, and they more or less confirmed <laughs> that fact. That people were, you know, people were, you know, I mean, They're I just don't Nervous understand. when the election's so, coming. So I don't want them to try to dump this on to, to the budget uh, committee before we get to that point. 
something. I mean, we got to do. We got to make a decision yeah. on what we're gonna do. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, but I thought they were so close. I couldn't understand why they didn't vote. I mean, I wanted to know that in the retreat, but you know, we were running out of time. Couldn't ask those you know questions. But how can you refer something and it gets out of committee and with no recommendation? Yeah. So before before we wrap up segment two, is there anything you want our listeners, our thousands of, of friends of the podcast, Tens. to know about the mysterious Greg Popcorn? I mean, they Fips. learned about Phipps in the very first episode we do. of this we, we podcast. Talk about we you, talked so. about you. Oh, yeah. that, that's what we, we you would we, know if you listen. Yeah, you don't listen, oh, but oh man, you, I, we, you know, I hey, think look. they make a. We just now have a version of this available on flip phones, right? No, but we'll work on it. For, we'll work on the Phipps edition. Uh, we talked about your popcorn. Give story. us one. Give us one thing people don't know about Greg Popcorn Phipps, District yeah. Four Representative Extraordinaire. One thing that people don't know about me, yeah, man? man. He's like people know well, everything about me. Well, I mean, they should know that I served back in two thousand and five, and it was five Republicans on the council. I got along with all of them. Yeah. So what? So there was five of you guys? Yes, five Republicans. That sounds, that sounds like heaven to Tarek. <laughs> yes. The times they've changed, my friend. Yes. Well, Mr. Phipps, uh, we, we were so glad to have you on. Oh, man. I'm, we I'm we thought you were never going to accept our invite. I mean, hey, look, man. I mean, you know, look, we, we, we all meshing together, man. We, we're getting there along. Man. I'm not sure he knows what's going on with these microphones. I'm telling exactly. you, man. I'm telling you. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, man. I'm You're famous you. now, my friend. Okay. You're about to be. You're right, about, no, you Thank just you. made it's us famous, real. to be honest. Thank you for coming on. Yes, we'll sir. We'll be right back with segment number three. <laughs> but we're going to let Mr. Phipps leave so he can all go right. home. He's, he's tired of us already. All right. We'll be right back. All right, folks, we're back for our third and final segment. We mentioned today was the zoning meeting, the most riveting time of month. But this was uh, this was actually, for me, uh, uh, the, the, the pinnacle of a, of a several-month-long process uh, of which, uh, you know, I had been – what did uh, Matty Newt say? He, he had traversed a site earlier today. You traversed uh, this site. I, I traversed this site several times. Um, I'm, I was with the community. I was with the developers. Nolly Court, we've talked about it here, I think, on this program, the Affordable Housing uh, uh, Project for Seniors. Uh, and, you know, I, I was just pleased at this one because um, after all that work, and still the community isn't, you know, they, they're not overjoyed with this. But I think through helping them understand the process and understanding the backdrop of the need of uh, affordable housing units in, in the city, they realized that you know, instead of just kind of going to the end in opposition, they they decided, you know, some things that would make their lives and their neighbors' lives a little better um, after this ha- uh, unit was up, uh, a fence, namely, along the back, an eight-foot fence. Not the Taj Mahal offenses, but not a chain-link fence. Uh, and that was something they, they decided after many other uh, negotiation points um, that they would remove their opposition. So, you know, while you know, if you look at some other cases, we had talked about uh, the District 7 one with Publix a while back. I mean, people were there in signs in that decision. They left angry. I mean, for everyone to kind of leave mildly upset, but kind of not not so bad. I, I count that as a win. What do you think? Well, I'm sure you count it as a win. They, they're building a wall and making the petitioner pay for it. <laughs> that's right. So I'm, that well, sounds right up your alley. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> It took you seven <laughs> seconds to get that Dang joke. It. I did. Look, I'm so zoned <laughs> into the uh, to the to the project. Uh, you got me there. So yeah, I thought so you'd get that. We'll one right be seeing off. that on a larger scale soon. Right? I doubt it. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, I do think we saw tonight in in one of our decisions and in one of our hearings, 
where neighbors had some strong concerns. The decision was in your district. The hearing was in mine. But they continued to dialogue with each other. We were involved as the district reps in that process. Uh, to, to You, to a large extent, and yours, me, to a lesser extent, and mine, because it, it, it wasn't necessarily as big a, a conflict. But ultimately, both of them came out to a resolution. And so I think there's some euphemism about where if no one's completely happy, then you got to a good compromise. Yeah, that's right. You know, nobody should feel like they got everything they wanted or, or that they had to give up everything. And in this, in both cases, I think, uh, but again, particularly with the decision we made on this affordable housing complex tonight, both sides kept giving an inch until they found some some happy medium. I think they're both satisfied now. Um, and anytime we can get the neighborhood to ultimately withdraw their opposition or, or support a project, obviously we all feel better about it. We're here to represent the, our, our neighbors and, um, and the citizens of Charlotte, but we also realize that the need for affordable housing. So I, I was very happy with the outcome tonight. Kudos to you for the, for the work on that. We had a couple of interesting rezonings tonight, but um, we got one other we have to talk about. Mm, wine. Wine. Um, Sing a song. But you won't. I already forgot. To play the- oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, That's okay. You I had encouraged. To, I had encouraged Tark as a as a transition song in this program when he's when he's mastering it and editing it later to to use UB40's Red Red Wine, which he objected to. I, I just I just totally let let me handle the the transitions. Okay. Well, you handle the witty banter and the radio voices. I'll try. All right. So we did um, we did fix tonight what I assume a decade ago was just an oversight um, and kind of an unintentional. Uh, business left behind. So when the when the brewery regulations were changed up about a decade ago to accommodate for the new wave of folks like OMB and Nodot Brewing, um, it was not written to include wineries. And legally within that winery designation is also including it also includes cideries and meaderies, mead being a honey wine. Because um, at the time, there probably wasn't much of a demand for that. We've said I thought you said meter, meaderies. Mead, like M- M-E-A-D. M-E-A-T. Oh, no. Do they make those? Is that a thing? A meadery. That's Shima, the Brazilian steakhouse. Mm. That's a meadery. We need to make sure they are included in this ordinance as well. Well, meadery should be able to operate just like any brewery. Um, so I think we we got that fixed, and we've we've seen two cider um, producing places, cideries, open up in the last couple of years. But it was very very difficult for them too because. As being classified as a winery, they had to open an industrial zoning area. And the breweries, as we know, with places like Heist Brewery and Legion and Resident Culture, they can open in uh, different types of zoning that might be more integrated into a neighborhood than just these industrial zones. So I think this will open the door. This was predicated by the fact that Bold Rock, a very successful cider company out of Virginia, wanted to open a second location here. It's a local business. It will create local jobs. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity for us to just support small business. And, so hold on. The, the, and you the, should like it because we're taking down regulations that impede the ability for a small business to start and succeed. I, you don't have to convince me, dude. I know I'm you like it. I know you I'm like it. I'm for it for many reasons. And it was but unanimous, which the, I was happy the, about. The, the cidery that's uh, over there near the light rail. Um, there's two. There's Red Clay. Red Clay. And there's Good Road. Oh, maybe it's Good Road. Good Road's near OMB. No, the red, other one. red clay is a little so further up on red, plant. Red, I think. First of all, red, red clay, both of them are great, but red clay specific. So, is the reason they were there before, it, without this change we just made tonight, because it was zoned, zoned in the proper way? Yes. Versus they couldn't have gone down closer to OMB. They couldn't or, have opened where Heist is. Right. Right. Or they couldn't yeah. have opened where Legion is, and so it, it really just limited them. And again, these. These businesses are operating in the same way that breweries are. It's the same business model, attracts the same customers. It just happens to be a product that's made with a different ingredient. Uh, the alcohol levels are similar. So I, it really was, I think, just an, an 
innocent oversight, but something that I was glad someone picked up on and we were able to come back in and fix. Because again, we don't want to be the roadblock to the success of a small business. And I think that's what these rules were were creating and, and now we've fixed it. All right. Episode eight in the books, my friend. It's a wrap. It's it's late. It's time to go home. Yeah, man. It's been a long day. All right. Well, we will look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thanks, as always, for listening. Make sure you like the Facebook page. Make sure you subscribe. We actually, thanks to Tarek, are oh, on yeah. multiple new platforms now. So even for our non-iTunes users, we've got it on. Tell them the other side. Android. Uh, you can web subscribe. Yeah. You can subscribe via email. I that's mean, what I meant. There's, yeah, web subscribe. Yeah, tomato, potato. Yeah. And uh, there's other stuff, too. And whatever you I'm so do tired, to listen. I can't remember. Whatever you do to listen to podcast, you can listen you to can R&D QC now. So we're glad to have that up. And make sure you share it with your friends. Make sure you rate us. Thanks to the three or four new people who rated us this week. You're listening to our calls for action and you're acting. We appreciate <laughs> it. You're helping us grow. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Later. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tarek Bakari and Mark and Eggleston.